As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to talk to you because I don't know much about you. So I'm ready to just like get on in there and get deep. So thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I love the theme of this podcast. I feel like, especially in our industry, like you just, you gotta know how to get up and dust off your knees and carry on. So yep. you're doing a real service for everyone. I mean, honestly, it was selfish at first. Cause I was like, I want to know the answer. And then as soon, as soon as it started going, I was like, all right, I'll let other people hear, uh, hear you know these conversations. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause I was thinking about this earlier before we started and I was like, I feel like the answer is just to get pummeled so often that you like kind of don't even notice. I mean, I'm at the point where it does not phase me barely at all. Mm -hmm. Like, and, um, when, you know, when something gets passed on or when, I mean, I have to really care about something, which I guess <laughs> maybe that's why they're getting passed on. <laughs> My pitches, no. I just, <laughs> you're like, I just don't care anymore. I, I know I don't, uh, <laughs> uh, but I completely agree with you. Cause I, like I was saying before we started recording, recording, I did somebody else's podcast and they asked me some similar questions and I was like, oh yeah, you just have to like hit rock bottom again and again and again and have people like, or like bomb on stage again and again and again. Yeah. And then you well, just know that rock bottom. So then, yeah. then it's like, no expectations. you just live there. And so mm -hmm. when something good comes along, you're just like, Oh, wow. Yeah. You're like, hooray. <laughs> this is new and unusual. Uh, uh, so usually the first question I ask guests when they come on is, can you think of a moment in your life where you were at a low point that you're most proud of overcoming? And it can be growing up adulthood, whatever. Um, but something that you're like, man, that was really hard. And I came out of it and I'm really proud of myself for that. Yes, I definitely can. Um, I was, and I, I'm very proud, especially of something I accomplished when I was coming out of it. Um, but I, uh, I lost both my parents when I was 19 and they passed away 10 months apart and I was in college. So it was my sophomore year of college. And, um, I like, I have my sister who I'm very close to now, but at the time, like she had been in college and was starting her real grown up life and like was in a relationship. And I truly was like, so all alone. And I had kind of just two friends in college. Like I, I had transferred schools so I could be close to my mom who had cancer. And, um, basically the thing I'm really proud of is that, um, I very easily could have like dropped out of school and I mean, I was studying economics. It's like nothing I ever used. It probably, but that's mattered. also like very hard. I took a couple of economics classes and it was challenging. Yeah. yeah. And so I, but I'm really proud of myself instead of doing that, but I knew I had to like get to the next phase of life. I took on kind of a double course load and I almost like, I did the opposite where I threw myself into studying to like distract myself from the feelings. And I ended up graduating a year early, like the next year. So I am very proud of my, I mean, with like a C minus average, I barely scraped by, hey, but I was like, passing's passing, baby. We passing don't is it. passing, baby. <laughs> um, so I'm really, really, I look back at that and I'm like, wow, you know, I look at 19 year old me and I, I feel, I feel really proud of her. Yeah. What, like, have you before that? Cause that is an extreme, extreme loss. Had you dealt with any loss before that, that like, so it wasn't as, I mean, how could it not be so shocking? You know, like I, I'm so in awe of you being able to like 
focus on anything at all in those in that time and I'm just curious about like how you how you did that yeah you know what um no I had not had a like close personal loss I I honestly lived a pretty charmed life I'm not gonna lie like Mm -hmm. and I was very very tight especially with my mom um and and my dad and I became I mean, we were always close. Like I always loved him like a dad, but he was kind of like a traditional dad. He was like, Mm. worked a lot, traveling a lot, but like my mom was my person and my mom got, had pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I, my dad and I both kind of cared for her up until when she passed. And then, and then my dad had a heart attack 10 months later. And, um, so when my dad died, well, when my mom died, it was just, you know, it's what you hear about or see on TV. Like I, it, even though I knew it was coming, like I, I had like said goodbye to her. It just rocked me off of my axis in such a like immediate way. And then it continued to, I mean, people who have grieved a lot will understand this. Like I just felt so untethered and then when my dad died, it was almost just like, it, it was so weird. It was like, my sister and I recently talked about this, like, no, that's, you got it wrong. Like our mom just right. died. Right. You know, like the hospital had called my sister and she literally was like, no, like, yeah, you're like, no. yeah. and, um, so it was, I had already been so thrown off balance that it almost like it was just a continuation of that. And, um, I will say like the depths of stuff kind of came later and I almost anticipated that. And that's why I was like, I have to get through college so that I can start my like real depression. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) And, and then I worked through that and then, you know, I got back to life and living. And I will say, I think the key for me eventually was surrounding myself. Like I had not picked the best people to surround myself with when I moved to L I moved to LA from after college to pursue acting. Also don't recommend that. And, um, (laughs) as we all know, (laughs) as we all know, but you know, God bless to those who, but I, um, I then moved to New York and the people I've met and like surrounded myself at UCB theater in New York and brought me back to life, I think. And this was like, this was four years later after my dad died. So it took me a while. This isn't, it's not but so like, much a bounce as it was. a. That doesn't a, even seem like that much time to me, like four, four years. Like, obviously it's a long time, but like you went through something unbelievably gut-wrenching soul-shaking just life-changing mm-hmm. and so to me that that honestly seems like a, doesn't seem like crazy to me you know yeah you know in hindsight now that I'm I'm 43 this all happened 19 to like 23 right. at the time it seemed like this is like this is my life and you know it was just kind of a a short stint in um LA like Depressionville and then I <laughs> kind of yeah um, slowly worked my way out of it. Thanks to therapy. Thanks to like a good support. I wish someone had told me like, surround yourself with people who make you feel good about yourself. And maybe back then I would have thought that they were, but in hindsight, I was not doing that in the least. Um, and I don't mean in, in, when I was in college, I like was in a fugue state. It didn't matter who was around me, but once I moved to LA, I was surrounded by people who like mostly just made me feel worse about myself. And when you don't have kind of, I mean, even if you have a complicated relationship with your parents, which I, I honestly really didn't, but having, I don't know, having your parents and having family kind of tethers you to the earth and gives you like a sense of identity. And I just had none of that. I felt so, uh, yeah. Untethered. Yeah. I mean, and also on top of that, you're like an artist, you're an actor and a writer. And like, 
I feel like we struggle to find our identity, even just being that, you know, and then mm-hmm. add to that, like this traumatic, these traumatic events. And I have, I, have you I, lost someone like, I, I'm, yeah, no, uh, I have lost, um, a friend who was killed in 2020. Uh, he was mm-hmm. 20, 28 and it was a motorcycle hit and run accident. And so someone hit him <sighs> and drove away. Um, oh my God. And I, before that, I hadn't experienced anything. I am so privileged and blessed that that was the first, you know, even though that's weird to say. And it changed me completely. Um, yeah, I mean, so, and it was in 2020. So it was like a Zoom funeral, you know? Oh, so yeah. Just, yeah, it was, it was really tough. Um, but obviously it's not a parent or like a relative. So, it's very different, but I, I did feel for the first time I did question existence and I questioned mm-hmm. afterlife and what are we doing and what's the point and why someone that's 28, this is backwards. You're not supposed to die when you're 28. You're supposed to be able to live a life. And yeah, and that's so tragic. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, But I mean, it's interesting because you have a podcast that's about death. Mm-hmm. and sure do <laughs> sure, sure do. do uh like what what have you learned anything I know it's like pretty new this po- the podcast yeah but- I'm actually so uh I'm just wrapping up season one I'm, I've done 12 episodes I'm gonna do a bonus episode um yeah I've learned so much honestly I've learned a lot about like the end of life and how we can do that better collectively, like, especially in this country, culturally, like we're not very good at that. And there are a lot of things that, uh, could change about how we do things. And, and, um, but mostly, I mean, it's given me so much perspective on my life. I I will say I'm like now it's such a weird thing. I have like the best life. Like I, I'm so lucky. I have, this is so, I know everyone says this, but I actually have the two best kids who exist. (laughs) I have the best husband. I love what I do for work. I love where we live. I feel like safe and, uh, you know, we, I'm just so fortunate. I'm very close with my sister. She doesn't live that far from me now. And, um, and so doing this podcast has mostly just made me feel so grateful for that. And like, I don't know that I would have this life had my parents not, and this is such a horrible, weird thing to say. I think I'm framing it the weird way, but my parents passing away, like set off kind of the butterfly effect Mm. for me to be where I am. Like, I can't say what it would look like. Maybe it would still be awesome, but I really feel like they've had a hand in shaping my life now. And I feel like I still have a relationship with them. Um, So I'm really at peace with everything. And I'm also like, I of course do not want to die anytime soon because I'm enjoying this life so much. And I don't want my kids to be without me, but I'm also like not scared of death after doing this podcast in the way it was before starting. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I have, I have multiple questions. How mm-hmm. do you feel like the death of your parents contributed to the life that you have now? Like, is there specific, I'm just curious yeah. about what, like what that means to you. I feel it in big ways and in small ways, but some of them are like very, feel very, I mean, I'm, a, I might sound like really off my rocker, but, um, for example, this is, this is one of these things I'm just like, I, I, it's one of those unexplainable things, but, um, I was in New York. I'd, I'd been in New York for like nine months. I'm going to my, not to brag, graduation from bartending school, graduation (laughs) party. And my friend was with me and I hear this guy calling out my name and I turn around. It's Friday night in the East village. There are people out. This guy runs up with his friend and he's like, are you Elizabeth Lame? I'm Andy Rosen. And he was like my first serious crush in sixth grade. 
that I like talked to my mom about. My mom had met him. Like I organized ways for us to be together. Like I had such a massive crush on this guy. And then his family had moved away to Idaho. I never heard from him again. And um, literally every guy I ever had a crush on since then or dated was like some version of him because he was kind of like, he was this musician like loved Prince art, art guy. Yeah. Whereas all the guys at my school were like senator's sons. So sure. Sure. Um, then that was him. And he's my husband now. Like he, I feel like my parents, especially my mom connected us and he, That's, I mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's fucking wild. Isn't that crazy? And like, yeah. That's one thing I even, all these weird things. Like, so this job I was just on, I was writing, I wrote for this show, A Million Little Things for the last three years. And um, the show creator, DJ Nash, he and I like met at a party, I don't know, like 12 years ago. And then we met and went our separate ways. And, um, but I always like... He's he's one of these he's one of these guys. He has something on deadline every six months. Like, sure. he, and so I'd oh, always like us. see, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always see on deadline his name, and I'm like, oh yeah, T.J. Nash. Like, wow, he's he's cooking things up. And um, then like, it was a fluke of how I met with him on the show. I won't even go into all of the details, but he and I have this weird connection. And one example, and I really feel like my parents like coordinated this. And by the way, it was very nice writing on a drama for the last three years. So I didn't have to feel hilarious during like the end times. Sure. And um, one example was, this was a couple of years ago. I, it was the anniversary of my dad's death. And I was like thinking about him while we were on Zoom room. And I was like, I wonder, you know, he died before there was like Google stuff. And I was like, I wonder if you can Google him. So I Google Ron Lame and uh, a picture comes up on Google images and it's of me and Ron Livingston, who had been a guest on my podcast like many, many years ago. Well, Ron Livingston is like an actor on our show who is not... Like he's sometimes on our show, but he's kind of the main character the show is about is Ron Livingston's character dies by suicide in the pilot. And we were talking about a scene with him in it. And I just was like, this is too fucking crazy and weird. And I told DJ about it. And DJ um, like called me later and he patched in Ron, which was, I mean, this is a very DJ thing to do, but Ron was so sweet and Ron was like crying. And it was, it was just like, oh my gosh, now it gets even crazier, which is, you know, then I talked to DJ. I'm like, this was so sweet of you. I really feel like these things keep happening around the show. I really feel like this was kind of faded. And like my parents had a hand in this part of my career and um, DJ is always very sweet about like me losing my parents and we've incorporated things in storylines or whatever. And he, he's like, well, I just can't imagine, you know, losing my parents. He had a very close relationship with his dad. The next day he finds out that his dad had passed away. And so stuff like that, where I'm just like, it's too wild. Oh my God. That um, is, uh, that's, that's unreal. Wow. Yeah. So I love stuff like that. And I love um, doing this podcast. I've heard so many of stories like that. And sometimes it's stuff that you could like right away be like a hummingbird came up to me and it felt, yeah. but I really believe that, that, that has been kind of true for me. So yeah, I, I love hearing stories like this too, because like, it also validates the experience of other people who have had loved ones pass away and feel that. Cause like, I've had little things like that happen, but I'm like, I'm just, it's just in my head or whatever. Like that's not, that couldn't happen. That's it's just yeah. a coincidence. And it's like, 
I don't know. That's like a couple really like hard hitting things to be a coincidence all happening at the same time. And it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. And it also kind of makes me feel at peace about like, look, I will say, I, you know, things are, I feel so blessed and stuff now, but like career wise, I had to claw my way into my career. I mean, like scratch bite, like, and it makes me feel very much like you're always in the right place at the right time, even if it doesn't feel that way. And kind of going back to what we're talking about in the beginning, like when I moved to LA from Santa Barbara in the depths of like my grief starting with an economy degree, (laughs) economics degree. (laughs) And I was like, I also, I always joke about this, but it is very true. I looked like a 43 year old woman when I was 20. I was trying to get into acting. It was like, and, and I think that nowadays there's more opportunities for kind of charactery. Like Mm. at the time it was just like, you have no hope. And what I would do, Rebecca, is... <laughs> I'm really excited for this. <laughs> like, I took one of these low-rent acting classes. I There's also this whole level of Hollywood that's like a pariah on people's desperation that oh, I was yeah. a sitting duck for. I mean, Everybody I was... is when they move here. Like, truly, yes. it's, it's nuts how they prey upon people. It is crazy. And it's just this, like, it's this whole different world and... I'm glad I got a glimpse of it and not even a glimpse. I I was desperate to be a part of it, but, um, I took one of those classes and they were like, it's all about networking, but they don't really tell you what real networking is, which is Mm. like collaborate with people and create stuff. And yep. In my mind, it's like, you need to go to parties or like, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to network. I didn't have any friends or anything. I would go to, there was this club at Hollywood and Highland, which was like a nightclub. And I'd put on like a skirt and like a headband. And then I'd go and it was a bouncer. There are bouncers at the door and like all these gorgeous model girls are like, they're ushering them in. I'm waiting by myself. I finally get in. I go up to the bar and I would order a drink at the bar and I would like then talk to anyone around me and be like, oh, where are you from? Or what are you doing? Trying to network. Like that is how I was trying to network. And looking back on that, I'm like, oh, Elizabeth. (laughs) I mean, they still, I feel like they still don't tell you that like finding your, like networking is like kind of finding your group and like making things or like being creative together or something like that. Like I I still feel like it's like go to Q and A's where there's Meryl Streep and then you're like, and it's like, Totally. It is so misconveyed, you know, and sometimes, okay. Like it's funny because I did meet DJ at like an agent's Christmas party or whatever. And maybe that kind of gave me a stepping stone for 12 years later when I'm meeting him and we're like, didn't we talk in that, the garage at whatever. And so like, I guess that was networking, but you didn't, I didn't know it or realize right. it, you know, but it definitely doesn't take place at like tourist trap nightclubs. And I mean, the stuff I would do. And also I look back and I'm like, I was so unsafe. Like, just, right. I don't know what I was doing, but I thought oh I was, I thought I was building a career. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm still like, even like an agent's Christmas party. I'm like, how do you get invited to that? Like it's, it's so, there's so many like facets to this fucking industry that is, I, I think it's wild that 12 years later, you like it's 12 years. That's a long time. Yeah. It might've been more like nine, but I will say I'm okay. Timeline wise, just yeah. if this gives anyone hope, because I was like definitely a late bloomer career wise. I, I moved to New York in 2003 I have had every job one could have. I mean, I was like waitressing. I was a florist. I was a nanny. I did it all. Um, Then I was moonlighting or whatever you want to call it at UCB, which doesn't exist anymore there, I guess, which is such a bummer. But I had like a one woman show I put up there and I, I was on mod teams and I really felt like creatively I tapped into something that felt like a good fit. And we had no 
there were no like executives in the audience. Like maybe there was an intern from MTV and we were like, oh my God, you know, it was just working on being funny and doing better work and stuff like that. Then I'd say around 2007, I feel like people started getting plucked out of UCB and like a move to LA started happening. And I, I was watching so many of my friends, like, I mean, booking commercials when right. someone booked a like national commercial, I was just like, oh. I mean, they might as well have won like an Academy Award and a Grammy. I was just yeah. like, you have arrived. And, um, I started feeling really jealous and like inadequate and was like, it's not happening for me. Why not? And, um, we moved to LA in 2008, not because, <laughs> not because there was any reason to, but I was just like, um, actually this is funny. I had a manager who kind of in New York who had moved to LA. And I was like, I bet he's like, where is Elizabeth? Like, she's got to be out here writing scripts and stuff. And we moved out here and he ghosted me. He like <sighs> never responded to my, and we had like friends in common. That was what was is crazy. Is he still like just... in the industry? Do you know? I don't think so. His name well, is Max Roman. Max Roman. There we go. Um, Not here anymore. <laughs> I was just like, it was so weird and also hilarious looking back on it that I had moved my entire life. I mean, and my husband, but it was the right move for us. And um, we started podcasting. And like in 2010, we started yep. a podcast not even knowing what it was exactly. But did you Andy, like hear one and you were like, oh, I want to do, or like, how did you, how did that come about? Cause obviously 2010 is like an early, it's early in the podcast game. Yeah, it was very early. So my husband's a record producer. He had recording equipment. Um, I had a bunch of funny friends who'd moved to LA. It wasn't a podcast, but there was like a daily radio show called Too Beautiful to Live that I think then turned into a podcast. Mm. But um, we listened to that and I was like, we could do something like this and just like put it up on Friendster. I don't even know what it was. Yeah. And Andy kind of looked into it. It was like, there are these things called podcasts and we could make one. Wow. And so we just kind of started it that way, not knowing anything about anything and um, it grew and it became popular, but it was, I mean, no one was making money on podcasts back then at all, but it kind of gave me drive and purpose while I was also like doing other jobs and stuff like that, writing scripts, like a mofo. And at this point I decided I want to focus on writing. I don't want to act. I don't have like the confidence to take the hits from acting but I do still, to this day, I love doing storytelling shows. Like mm. I, I love, love, love doing live storytelling shows specifically. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's looking, uh, storytelling I'm, right here I'm around, uh, but I like storytelling shows way better than stand-up shows. Like if I, I like in a tent, like attending them or whatever, like, yeah, I've seen moth ones and they're just they're so, so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love doing them and I love going to them. And I mean, I love storytelling, which makes sense right yeah. for TV. Yeah. And so, uh, where was I going with all, what was I, know, I, I interrupted you? Cause I'm no, like, no, no, no. Oh, we talked about storytelling. And... Oh, the trajectory of my, yes. so here's what I was going to say podcasting and stuff, but like could not get anything going writing. Like my only hope I felt like was if a friend's show went and I could get staffed, but like, and there were so many near misses of that happening. So 2010 to my daughter was born 2014 2014, I had my daughter and I kind of, at that point, it was 14 years of me being here and like hustling hard, mm -hmm. no jobs. And I had my daughter and of course it's like when you're least expecting it, um, yep. I was in a, I had become close with June Raphael because, um, we had known each other before this, but we both had kids around the same time. So we we're hanging out more and I, pitched her something or I didn't even pitch her. I just told her about the next thing I was going to write unbeknownst to me. She had a deal with ABC and was looking mm. to bring things in. And that's how I sold my first thing. It was a pilot with June and Casey Wilson supervising. And that was the first time I got paid for writing like 14 years in 
new baby, it just um, finally kind of came together. What made you keep going? I mean, because switching, even even in writing though, because you mentioned like you wanted to switch out of acting because you were you didn't want to take the hits or whatever. But it's like even in writing, it's really hard to sell a pilot too. Like all, all of it's really hard. So I'm just curious of like how did you keep going? Like what made you uh, persevere, even if it's like oh therapy was very helpful or whatever. Like how did you keep going? Honestly, I think the difference to me is like writing is self-generated and mm. I just kept having ideas. You know, I, yeah. I, there were many times I'd be like, I think I'm going to, I mean, it, Andy and I joke about like the real estate career I could have had because there were so many times where I was like looking up online, like how do you get your real estate uh, license and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but I just kept like, then I'd be like, Oh, but I have this one really good idea. And I just want to see this one through. And, but there were definitely times where I was just like, I'm doing this. It's for the air. I mean, I, I don't I, have any, anything, anyone to give it to. And I must've written, I mean, <laughs> like probably 30 pilots, wow. you know, and so I, I'm grateful for that though, because I think similar to UCB where there was no opportunity really at the time, it, it helped me really get good at what, you know, at writing in a way that I don't know would have happened for me if I had, I guess I would have just been good if I'd been hired. I don't know. Did it you, took did, me 14 years, I guess, to get. Well, like, did you take there. classes on it or are you just like, you're not just a naturally gifted writer, I'm assuming. I don't think either I didn't take classes although I love the idea of like not necessarily like a cheesy how to write for tv class but I sure. like you know more of like a writing collective I think mm. I was in a few different writers groups where we would meet up and like was that helpful I think so yeah mm. I think it's always helpful to kind of carve out space and time for it and sometimes when you're like self generating it's really hard to I mean I'm I'm doing that right now where I'm like supposed to be writing something and I am not and you're, you're doing this with me I'm doing this instead <laughs> just blame it but, on me um you know being a self-starter I feel like can be challenging and so having that structure is really helpful mm -hmm. but um coming off of a show for three years where it's just been, I mean, amazing, wonderful experience, but like three straight years of, you know, like deadlines on the show and stuff, which it's so much easier when it's like baked into your job versus mm -hmm. like, Oh, I can play Tetris. We, we just got a PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. Really fun. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Creating, yeah. Creating your own deadlines and sticking to them is like, really hard uh it's brutal um I wanted to switch gears a little bit back into like the death arena because mm -hmm. just because of your podcast happy to <laughs> I love it, it there yeah honestly me too um and I've heard about like death doulas who like I'm sure you've heard of this right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't really know they just like help you through is it for the person that is still living or is it like for the person who is going to pass or like do you know anything about that? yes I do so and it's in doing my podcast there's just so much parallel between giving birth and really dying um and I've given birth twice and I had a doula and I had a um, midwife um I was one of those people who had that sort of situation for my birth and the midwife. So like a hospice nurse is more like the midwife. They're okay. medically trained. Um, they're, they do give support to the family, but they're mostly there. Uh, I spoke to a hospice nurse on my show and she's amazing hospice nurse, Julie. And her whole thing is like, she's there to keep you comfortable, clean and something else that I'm forgetting right now. But, um, basically they have access to the medications. They can administer medication, pain medication, 
to help people deal with whatever things are coming up as they're, you know, transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, a death doula in my mind is like, helps somewhat with that realm of things, but is more kind of emotion. I mean, they understand all the parts of that, but they're more emotionally supporting someone through that. And that's how like my doula was like the midwife is there medically trained to do the delivery and help you, you know, inform you as you go through labor, like what's coming down the pipeline and it's going to go. But the doula is more like the person that you're just like, I'm breaking, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a death doula is there to kind of help someone face their fears, help them navigate. Like if, you know, if the person who's transitioning needs to have conversations with the family that they're anxious about, or, um, I mean, it's more of like an, um, an emotional advocate for the person who's transitioning and in doing so, I think helps the family quite a bit. Right. Is that, do you feel like if that was something that was like around when you were 19, that that would have been like helpful for you and your sister? Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, it's interesting because I don't, we had a hospice nurse for my mom. My dad was very much her primary caretaker and I was kind of also there helping out a lot. I don't know if my dad would have been that comfortable having Mm -hmm. someone, you know, I think it's really person dependent on, um, but like my, if I were, I mean, knock on wood, this doesn't happen, but if I were facing a terminal illness and were on hospice, I would definitely want a death doula. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I feel like these are for me, at least new, uh, term that's new terminology for me as of like the past couple of years. And I'm, I think it's probably because of social media. Like now we're getting to like see things that we've never gotten to see before. Um, I do think it's relatively new though. Is it? And I also would caution someone. I mean, it's again, very similar to doula midwife. Like it's an easily accessible job in the sense of like, no, people can't just be like, I'm a midwife now. Right. You know, you have to go through certain qualifications and that's different for doulas. So I would like definitely do your research because that's such a tender time. You want to make sure you have like the right energy around you. Yeah, absolutely. What is your relationship? What was your relationship with death? Like before your parents passed away versus after like, I guess even in your early twenties versus like now, has it changed in those like three time periods? And if so, like how? Great question. Oh man. Um, my, yeah, my relationship before it, I think I was kind of like the American view of death, which is it's this like icky, kind of creepy, scary, like, uh, you know, I don't really want anything to do with that. Um, and also I think like a real denial about the fact that it happens to all of us and, yeah. You know, I, I'd imagine that if there were friends of mine who had lost people close to them, I probably was not like the good person to speak to about it. I probably would have like distanced myself from them. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Um, going through it, it was just so shocking that it had happened to me. And then for it to happen again so quickly, it felt like, I mean, it still kind of shocks me, honestly. Yeah, it, it is shocking. Yeah. And so then I think I kind of avoided it. Like, you know, I went through grieving. I I think I more was open to like thinking about and talking about grief than actually like what death is and the process of death for people. And, um, it wasn't until I became a mom and, um, the idea like becoming a mom kind of renewed all of these scary feelings. Cause Mm. in my experience, like when you love someone and it's not, I mean, I felt this way about my husband too, but like when you love someone so much, they die, you know, that was kind of Mm. how 
things had gone for me. Yeah. And so I had to get into therapy and like really work through my fear of them dying. And then it started to become a fear of me dying and putting Mm. them through that. And I still struggle with that. I have this like, but for a while it was so paralyzing. Like if my husband took the kids, I could, I literally would like wait and listen for sirens. Cause I, you know, it was really bad. And so I think in trying to kind of face those fears opened up my interest in this. And then I started reading near death experiences, which I find really fascinating. Um, and that's just kind of snowballed into where I am now. And the more I like lean into it, the less freaked out I am about it. Yeah. It sounds like you kind of like in, in learning more about it or being interested in learning more about it, it was helpful for you versus like avoiding it. Would you say? Totally. Yes. So many thoughts on this. (laughs) (laughs) What I'll, I'll like, uh, piggyback on that. What about your relationship to like religion and spirituality? Did you grow up as a religious person or a spiritual person versus now or versus like before and after you had kids or anything like that? Great question. I'm very <laughs> good at this. Um, I, yeah, I grew up religious Catholic. Mm, okay. Um, that was, yeah, I, I'm surprised I forgot about that because that definitely <laughs> colored my experience of losing my parents and, um, I grew up like pretty conservative Catholic. And then I lived in St. Louis and like, it's very conservative all around. And then also the Catholicism part of it is like huge and the guilt and the like slut shaming and the, all of it's, at least was alive and well. And, um, so it's kind of funny because I mean, I feel like I was losing my mom at the same time. I was like becoming a, you know, I was sexually active and was like Mm -hmm. struggling already with Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. And, um, I really didn't find much comfort in religion other than just like the, the, uh, rituals of, I mean, like, okay, we'll have a Catholic mass. We'll have a blah, blah, blah. And like, it's all kind of taken care of for you, but, um, it definitely rattled or more than rattled it. I think it made me realize I did not have a connection to the Catholic God that I like grew up with. And like, Mm -hmm. Jesus seems like he was a really great guy, but like did not have a connection. He seems great. He does seem great. Did not like feel a specific connection to it. Even though, I mean, when I was like 14, I was super Catholic, like so much that I wonder if my parents behind closed doors were like, Oh God, she's getting really Catholic. Um, (laughs) rosary every night. Whoa. Yeah. That is, Yeah. yeah, that's hardcore. Like I went hardcore. And then what happened was I, turned 16 and like got horny. Like, I mean, truly it just, it really changed my view of things. And so, so pretty quickly after my parents died, I kind of abandoned all religion. Mm, Okay. And I think I've been seeking, I think then the pendulum swung the other way where I was just like, I'm agnostic. I mean, I, you know, and I think that's part of my confusion is I felt like questioned is, is, what is the point of everything? You know, like, are we, cause it was so baked in that this, this is what God is. This is what heaven is that without that, it was almost like I couldn't conceive that there was another version mm. of any of that. And so now I'm like, I do believe in God and energy. And, um, I believe there's more than this experience with our like energies and, our souls, I guess, if you want to call them, I don't know what it is, but I think it's great. And I, I, I feel like we're on a, we're in a like learning experience and we're going to continue that journey. Um, so that's how I feel now, but it took me a very long time to get here. Like, even when you were like saying blessed, I mean, even words like that, I'm, 
I use two sometimes, but I'm like acutely aware of yeah. um, stuff like that. And my husband is, my husband like in college studied cults and cool. Um, yeah, he, and like his, prof- his favorite professor in college is one of the two people who infiltrated heaven's gate and the other person who they went together to infiltrate joint. So like the, so this professor kind of was very illuminating. And, and so he's very like, uh, allergic to organized religion. And so that's definitely kind of shaded things for me as well. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up not religious and I'm going strong on the, the not religious thing. Okay. <laughs> but I thought but, you meant, I thought you were, what I thought you meant like, I'm going strong on being religious, hardcore Christianity. No, 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 no. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Quite okay. the opposite. Uh, uh, what made you take a turn into being more, cause it sounds like you were Catholic than you were pretty much like agnostic. And then now you're leaning more towards spirituality. What, I think that's what the word you use, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is it. I guess that's what we call it. I mean, like what made you go into that realm, that bucket of spirituality well, or whatever want, you want to call it? Yeah. I want to just say like, I was biased because I think becoming a mom made me want to believe in Mm. something. And I think it's part of like getting over that fear and the kind of like intrusive thoughts I was having and stuff. Like I, and so when I started reading near death experiences, honestly, that's when I was like, huh, seems like all of these people have very similar experiences when they're like clinically dead and I actually interviewed this amazing, incredible um, Dr. Ajmal Zamar, who was the first person to capture the brain waves of a dying brain. And it wow. was kind of by accident. But what they saw was that the like memory area of the brain like lit up like crazy for almost like, and also that the brain activity continues longer after like the heart stops beating than they thought. and. Um, so my question was like, is there a scientific thing that justifies that all these people have very similar situations where, I mean, not every single, every single experience is different, but for near-death experience havers, there's a lot of times like you see a bright light that you're moving to, or you're like floating above your body and looking at your body. And the sensation is like, you have no connection to that body. Um, a feeling of euphoria, a feeling of being able to communicate without speaking, seeing, seeing loved ones who have already passed, feeling like joyful and like a sense of love that, you know, that they never felt before. And so that started to like really raise question marks for me, but in a way that I was like, this points to something that gives me comfort. So I'm going to kind of like lead into that. And then I think doing this podcast and like reading way more, um, there's, there's this neuroscientist, Jill Bolte Taylor, who had a stroke and like half of her brain shut down and the other half was still working. And the sensations were like very similar to that, where, um, the right side of her brain still working, like made her feel euphoric. And like, she was one energy with the universe. And, you know, so there, there, I think the more I learn about it, the more I feel like there's more to us than just this experience. We know so little, honestly. So I think I find comfort in thinking, okay, well, what we don't know might contain, you know, an afterlife. Right. You don't know what you don't know. Did the did the doctor that you interviewed ever give you an answer to like, is there a science scientific explanation for everybody feeling similar things like during their near death experience? Yeah, no, he he didn't really. He well, I was nervous to interview him because in a weird in a way, I was like, this actually negates what I'm hoping to think because I'm like, oh, here right. is scientific evidence. 
but he really didn't feel that way. He, he thought like, we just don't know enough. And also he was, he said, he reiterated so many times, like, this is one example, you know, in a scientific study, you would want to have thousands. So it's really hard to draw like concrete conclusions from this, but there are things that, you know, this had never been done before. So, um, he, he kind of felt like, I think it validates whatever anyone wants to think, because if you want to think like, oh, your life flashes before your eyes when you die, maybe the brain is just still alive enough to do that. And it's going to carry on, you know, these other things are going to carry on. Um, but if anyone's interested in this, there are a few books I would, there's, yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. There's a book by Bruce Grayson, who is a doctor who is like the first doctor to kind of create scientific studies about near-death experiences. And his book really felt like validating to me. Um, I mean, of course you can find the things that validate the thing you hope to think. Um, Then Jill Bolte-Taylor's book is incredible, which I forget what it's called. I will remember that. I'm sure tonight at like (laughs) 2.30. And then uh, you can listen to uh, my podcast. It's called The One Sure Thing. Dr. Zamar came on that and we we've then like formed a friendship and he's awesome. And then I interviewed this guy who had his life flash before his eyes. Um, he was, this was in the like seventies. He was parachuting out of a plane. His legs got tangled up in the parachute. So he didn't have a parachute and he, he dropped and then the parachute like got caught on a tree and it saved him. But when it was happening, his, he had the experience of his life flashing before his eyes. And it was like, he described it as everything all at once, but so clear and that you could feel like the feelings of the people who were in the memory with you. So like things that even from early, early childhood, you know, like if his mom was yelling at him, this isn't an example he gave, but like he could feel why she was upset, Mm. you know, or vice versa. If you make feel someone feel good about something. So I found all that really interesting. That is really very interesting. Um, I know we're coming up on an hour. I have, I have like two more questions. Oh yeah. I'm Um, I'm good. (laughs) Just procrastinating. (laughs) Great. Happy, happy to help you with that. Um, uh, okay. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you mentioned something about like kind of having a period of time where you were a bit of like avoidant emotionally after, after your parents passed, because, um, you were like, well, everyone I love is going, is going to pass. Or if I love somebody, they might die. I think you, did you say that? Did I make that up? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think like after they passed, I was kind of avoidant emotionally in terms of like getting through college. Mm -hmm. And then I became kind of numb for, I mean, I, yeah, like my, a long-term depression started that I still like medicate for on and off as needed. Um, but, uh, I think it was when my kids were born that I was like, it's scary to love a human being so much because I was like conditioned that they're going to (laughs) go. So I had to really work through that. Yeah. I was going to ask like, what was helpful during that time? Like, I guess what was helpful in getting you out of the numbness, but it sounds like maybe having children and then what was helpful for you (laughs) when you had those overwhelming, like feelings of loving something so much. Yeah. Well, what I will say is that I got, I feel like I got out of the numbness when I moved to New York and had like a new group of friends Mm -hmm. and then met my husband and like, was forming connections and found UCB and was like doing something I loved. I I just came alive then in a way. Um, Therapy was paramount to me. And I actually like, we dealt with a health issue with my son. He was hospitalized when he was one years old. And I like, I mean, we, um, we really almost did lose him. So I had to kind of face it head on and, um, yeah, really therapy and medication. Well, God bless me too, um, baby. Well, Yes. 
Love add a little, stuff. add a little Celexa sometimes during my period and we're good to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> great. So those tools. And then again, kind of like, I mean, it's, I feel like it's a lesson I keep relearning and, but surrounding yourself with people who make you feel good. And if someone doesn't, that doesn't mean they're bad. Like this is something I, it took me a long time to figure out. Like it's not about someone trying to, trying to make you feel bad. It's just honestly about a like energy exchange. And there are people who are great people who other people love, who seem awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just, they might not be for you and that's okay. And kind of protecting yourself energetically, I think is important. I, that I needed to hear that because it's like, I think, especially in our industry where you see people quote unquote succeeding who you're like, but, but they're not a good or I don't think they're a good person or I don't, it seems like they're doing things for the wrong reasons, but look at them. They're succeeding. And I think you're right about like protecting your, your energy. And Mm -hmm. I like the way you framed that. Um, okay. My last question is if you could give a piece of advice to somebody who experience is experiencing a loss, whether that's a loved one, a job, uh, a friend, what piece of advice would you give them? Well, I think it would be really different, honestly, like a job, I would say, I feel really comfortable saying like, and I've experienced this enough times that I can look back on it and go like, oh, thank God that didn't work out. And I think I would, I feel comfortable saying, I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but this will work out in a way that will be wonderful in in ways that you obviously didn't see coming. And Mm -hmm you can, obviously you should feel your feelings of sadness, but trust the process. Um, losing a person really, um, actually June Raphael, uh, saw my podcast cause she's lost both of her parents and I was there with her kind of through losing her dad and I actually was literally podcasting with her sister when she found out her dad died. Um, oh and God. there's, I feel like people are really scared about saying the wrong thing and stuff mm-hmm. like that when someone's lost someone, but I mean, just saying, I'm so sorry. And, um, holding the space for discomfort is, you know, like saying like, I'm around if you want to be uncomfortable together, And then the other thing I would say is, um, not being like, if there's anything you need, let me know, but checking in and saying like, Hey, I can either drop off food for you. I can bring over wine. We can watch a movie or I can do none of these right now. And I'll hit you up later. Or I can come clean your house. Like, let me know what you want. Giving options instead of being like, leaving it open-ended and putting the work on the person who has just lost somebody, I think is what I'm getting. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing I would say is like checking in about it months later. Cause I feel like there's a, there's a period of time where everyone like where the person's probably overwhelmed with everyone being like, Hey, I'm checking in. How are you? And then also not really wanting the, like, well, I'm not good. Right. Um, but you know, months down the road, like presumably you've been hanging out with that person and in touch with them outside of it, but going like, Hey, I just want to ask you about how you're doing after losing your friends. You know, I know it's been a little while, but just want to check in with you. It's meaningful. I think. Yeah. Yeah. This was such an interesting and, uh, honestly like moving and helpful, helpful conversation. Um, so I'm really grateful to you for doing this and, Uh, I hope people listen to your podcast because it is so interesting and it's not something that we talk about, like you said, in our culture, but we need to, because it happens to everybody and you're going to lose people and you're also going to pass at some point. And so it's like making this conversation, something that doesn't have to be comfortable, but like it Mm -hmm. should happen. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, this was very helpful for me too. And not just because I'm procrastinating. Um, I, it's a good reminder, honestly, like to, I've obviously been talking about this a lot, but it kind of in different ways and to, I don't know, tying it all together also with 
like the career stuff and the, I don't know, it's, it's a good reminder of, um, like trusting the process and being grateful, honestly. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest Elizabeth Lame. She is a writer. She is a podcaster. Her new podcast is called The One Sure Thing. It's a podcast all about death and dying. So definitely check that out. Thanks again for listening. New episodes every Thursday. 